Well, again, thank you. And um, uh, Father Tim has agreed to be an interpreter in case you can't understand my hillbilly, hillbilly Tennessee accent. He's, he's a little more eloquent because he's from North Carolina. So he can meet us in the middle and interpret if I make any uh, uh, slangs that you do not understand. But I, I am here from Tennessee. It's where my home. I, my wife is named America, like America without the first A. Um, that's a really unique name. And you can see hashtag America all over now. And everybody sends her pictures of t-shirts that say that. And don't do that. If you know her, don't do it. It's old and she's over that. Uh, so don't do that. Uh, and I have three awesome boys. Our oldest son is uh, 19. And then we have a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old. Um, and it's great. So I'm glad to be here with you today and to share a little bit from this gospel passage and, and I thought today would be a great day. I'm just going to go through every, every hot button political topic. Just kidding, I'm not. <clears throat> I'm going to intentionally not do any of that, but I think this passage is really powerful, and you could read between the lines and see how it might apply to everything happening in our world now. So G.K. Chesterton's probably my favorite author, and he told this story in one of his uh, essays about a magical milkman and I don't know why he chose milkman. Maybe it was the culture of the day, but there was this magical milkman who was out delivering milk and he came across two brothers in a, in a field and the, the milkman came and said to the two brothers, I'm gonna give you one wish each and I'm gonna grant it. So be careful what you wish for uh, because it's gonna immediately happen. And the older brother thinks for a minute and he says, I wanna be a giant. I wanna be so tall that that tree looks like a little toothpick. And immediately, this brother became a giant. And at first, he loved it. He was so huge and, and didn't take him long. He, he traversed the world. He went to the Niagara Falls, but they looked like a little bathtub spigot. And he went to the great redwood forest, but the trees looked so tiny and uninteresting. And within an hour or so, he came back and laid down in the middle of this field next to his brother, so sad because he said, the world is so boring. And so the brother's turn came to make a wish, and he said, aha, well, I want to be tiny, no more than an inch tall. And immediately, this younger brother was tiny. And he never left that field because the dandelions looked like blazing balls of fire when the sun shone on them. And the trees were forests, and he explored the rest of his life. And GK makes the point, the punchline, is if you make yourself small, the world will always be full of wonders. If you make yourself small, the world will always be full of wonders. And this passage in Luke, I think Jesus says a very similar thing. So I want to look at that today. But first, will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. So one important thing to realize before we look at this passage more closely is that the, in Jesus's culture in the day, um, the most important thing was honor and, and honor-shame culture. So you, it wasn't necessarily financial resources, but you wanted to be able to gain honor to climb your way up any sort of social ladder. And you'd have to do this by surrounding yourself with people more honorable than you and distancing yourself from people more shameful than you. So this is why so many people were confused when Jesus was consistently surrounding himself with the outcast. He wasn't following the traditional path of promotion. So it was a honor-obsessed, power-hungry, promotion-consumed culture. And one of the powerful ways to increase your honor was what scholars refer to as table fellowship. 
So who, who you allowed at your dinner table, who you invited to be closest to you. And this is what Jesus was critiquing in this particular passage. It was customary in that day after a major event, after a major event like a wedding for the host to gather a smaller group of people after the event and put a table in a very public place. So as everybody, so if all of us were invited to a wedding, afterwards, I would invite a few of you and I would set a table up on top of that hill. So when you left, you would have to see who all was included at my table. And my goal as the host would be to pack that table full of very honorable people. And this is how I promoted myself in culture. So you would, all of you would love to be invited. uh, But if you weren't, you would walk past and say, oh, Jake's got Father Tim at his table. Big deal. Uh, Jake must be pretty honorable to be able to get Father Tim at his table or, or maybe the opposite, I don't know. Um, and so the host would work really hard to fill this table with uh, a, a very crafty guest list to increase uh, his honor. And in that, in that culture, it would be his. The, unfortunately, women wouldn't have had the chance to lead a table because of the culture of the day. So I don't think that's great, but that's just the truth of the way the times were Uh, at the time. So there's clearly at this table a most important seat and a least important seat. So the way it was set up is that guests would be invited in descending order of honor, which is fascinating to me. I can't imagine hosting in today's culture and it being obvious who the most important person at the table was and who the least important table. But when people walk past, there would be an obvious structure to the table with the most important being closest to the host and the least important being the furthest away from the host at the table. And so with this in mind, I wanna look at this passage that we read again and think about that mental picture. Uh, And this is what Jesus says. When he, Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. So get the picture. The wedding's over, people are leaving, and Jesus is sitting watching this stuff happen. And he's watching people rush out to sit at the table, and he turns aside to the disciples And he gives them some advice, some leadership advice for that culture in that time and that day. And he says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So I never realized how practical and how revolutionary this advice was from Jesus. He's saying, when you're invited, rush into the room not to find the most important seat. If you do this, you risk that the host is gonna come and say, well, Father Tim, why are you sitting next to me? I actually wanted you to sit way down there. And Simon, why are you sitting down there? I wanted you in front of me and in front of everybody because you promoted yourself, you would be humiliated and have to move down. So Jesus tells the disciples, look, when you're invited to this, rush into the room and assume the seat of least importance. Just go ahead and sit there. And it might happen that the host comes in and says, well, why are you all the way down there? Move up here. And because you humbled yourself, you'll be exalted. So it's very practical information, but is absolutely subversive and revolutionary for that time. So Jesus, he asks to have the seat of least importance. So 
I have a really unique history with this passage of scripture. I can say that it's probably the passage of scripture that has changed my life the most of any that I, in the New Testament. And the reason is because my dissertation chair for my doctorate assigned me this passage to write a paper on and uh, didn't give me much instruction, just said, research this passage and, and write a paper and tell me what you think about humility and leadership. And so I wrote a paper and turned it in. And his response was something like, you haven't even scratched the surface, please start over. And so I was really mad and started over. And we went back and forth like this, I think it was seven times of me submitting something and him saying, you haven't gotten there yet. There's more to understand about this story. Well, I, uh, one day in Cleveland, Tennessee, I'd walked across the street to a sandwich shop and had lunch with my boss, uh, who was the executive pastor of the church. And we were sitting across from each other. And while we were sitting there, I put my phone away. I turned it off uh, and didn't get it out of my pocket one time, fully attentive because I knew at that two-person table, I held the seat of least importance. So he had my honor in that moment. And so we met for about 45 minutes. He left and there was a, a guy who was one, one of the n- notorious, I don't know if that's the right word. He, he was well-known homeless guy in town named James. Everybody loved James. He had been homeless in our community since he was 14. And at this point, he was probably 30 or 35. And everybody had tried to work with him to help him find housing. And it's just, he, he didn't want it. He didn't desire it. So he came in, he loved a Mountain Dew. That's it. He, so he would come in this little shop and I uh, said, James, you want a Mountain Dew? Get your Mountain Dew and come, come sit down, which sounds noble. But when he sat down, I pulled my phone out and turned it back on and all the messages that I missed and social media notifications were starting to ding on my phone. So the 30 minutes that we were together, the seat switched and I definitely assumed the place of most importance. And I ignored James the whole time. Didn't think about it, went back to my office and I uh, was sitting there that afternoon thinking about this passage. And I've, uh, not, I felt the whole, I didn't hear any voice, but I felt the Holy Spirit convict me for how few times I rush into the room to assume the seat of least importance and what that means and how to pay attention to people better. And it was one of those moments where I was just broken in my office. So I emailed my dissertation chair back and said, I don't want to write another paper, but I think I know what you mean. And he emailed me back and said, you got it. No need to research anymore. This is what I was trying to get after in your life. So this has become uh, a tradition for me on my best days before meetings. I will breathe this silent prayer God, help me realize that I can be the least important person in this meeting, and that's okay. What would it look like to honor others and elevate others in this moment? Um, It's okay to be the least important person in the room. This was hard for me. I wanted to prove myself, uh, and it's something that I've tried to implement more and more in my life. So when we realize this is completely subversive advice from Jesus, I think the practical implications can be vivid. But then Jesus turns the table and he shifts his attention to the host. So evidently Jesus had been invited to the table, talks to his disciples, but then he turns to the host of that day and Jesus was supposed to be at this table. And he says to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and then you'll be repaid. And it just keeps this system of honor honor achieving going over and over and over again. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 
Uh, Can you even imagine what the host would think about this advice? Uh, Jesus was suggesting that this host sacrifice all honor by bringing in the shameful to his circle. He said, when you host, don't invite the powerful and then be expected to be invited to their next party. Invite those who've been overlooked and marginalized and will never have social clout to even reciprocate the invitation. I think if we'll let it, these two illustrations that Jesus gives can deeply upset our Western American view of leadership. I hesitate to even give practical suggestions to you on how you live this out, but it can powerfully shape how we lead our family and our teams at our work and even in our church. And I'm certainly not saying that we need to let people walk all over us or we always need to be silent. We never need to speak up for ourselves. There are other instances where Jesus leads powerfully and boldly and encourages his followers to do the same. But I am saying saying that we have to evaluate how we wield and yield power. We must learn to be comfortable in the least important seat and yielding our powers to others at times. So I'm gonna close by saying that on our absolute best day, ARDF has the luxury of leading in these ways. We consistently get to allow local churches to have the seat of honor in their communities around the world. And we serve completely in the background. And I love that. And we also get to resource people through the work of the church that are extremely overlooked and marginalized and hurting. And I hope that we can do that better and better. So it's my prayer for us that we can all, like the brother that chose to be small, learn how to make ourselves just a bit smaller in our world. And when we do, we'll realize the beauty of the world around us and the bigness of others. So may we learn to be more comfortable in the less important seats. And may we learn to reevaluate those who we desire to be at our tables. And in this dynamic tension, find ourselves part of a truly life-giving community. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you for your powerful teaching. It, it's something that, that this whole concept is something, Lord, that, that I have grappled with and don't exactly know how to implement. And it can, it can really upset our, our view of the world and our, our leadership capacity at times. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us discern each of us within this church and within our communities and our family. What does it mean, Lord, to practice humility? What does it mean to honor others? And Jesus, you you gave this message in such a revolutionary way. Help us not shy away from that. Lord, I thank you so much for the power of your word. In Jesus' name.